Kevin, thank you for the worship choir, worship team. It's awesome. Thank you for bringing us to the throne room of the Lord. Thank you. It's a blessing. Mark is going to come, and it's always good to have a Clemson fan reading Scripture, so <laughs> please come on, Mark. <clears throat> Good morning, church. Uh, it's my privilege to share with you some selections from Matthew, starting in chapter 6, in verses 5 through 8. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room Close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Matthew six sixteen through 18. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Turn to Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Wow. Thank you, Mark. That's a real blessing. Thank you, Mark. I mentioned in the earlier service that my wife of 32 years, Celia, and I have raised three daughters and one son, and uh, we both graduated from the University of South Carolina and have sent all of our three daughters to Clemson. And what I've said is it's amazing how when you write those checks, your loyalty changes at the same time you write those checks. But we won't get into that. Actually, after the first service, I took a picture of Mark and a brother who was here in a, in a Gamecock shirt because I wanted to say, you know what, it takes everybody to build up the body, Right. Now, Kevin, one other thing. I noticed that you referred to me only as Dr. Deneen in that introduction. In the first service, you said I call him Henry. And I'm just thinking, like, great friends like J.D. Martin, Andrus Moreno, and others, they're, they're probably not going to call me Dr. Deneen. Right, J.D.? Anyway, I hope you all will call me Henry. I have such a long-standing relationship with this church, beginning when I was a freshman at Furman in 1974. Uh, you all were kind enough to send a bus out to Furman to pick us up. And we came not only because we were motivated to worship here in this wonderful church, but also because the dining hall at Furman was less than, you know, a lot of us wanted. And you all served the college students a great lunch after church at that time. So thank you for that. So my relationship with this church goes all the way back to 1974, and then I carry in my Bible the bulletin from June 30th of 1996 when I spoke here at the patriotic service. Dr. Carswell was the pastor. I remember that time. 
But I do say, I noticed that I haven't been invited back for the last 22 years, so I, I don't know. You know, let's see, 22 years from now, I'm not even sure I'll still be here, Kevin. But anyway, I hope it's sooner than that. No, I'll be back next week. I'm joking about that. But it is great to have relationships. And now Celie and I have moved back here, and we've lived here almost two years, and I practice law with a firm out of Columbia. Celia is a guidance counselor or, or counselor over at Brushy Creek Elementary School, and we're just delighted to be here worshiping with you all. I appreciate those verses Mark read. It's so powerful, and I appreciate the journey that our church family is on in reading the Scriptures, because I do believe in our journey as followers of Jesus, reading the Scriptures is one of the greatest things we can do. And I read all the Scriptures for today's message as, as, and that y'all are reading, as well as the one uh, for next week, and I'll talk just a little bit later <clears throat> about what the Lord has shared, has laid on my heart to share next week. And, and I do believe that this is a message from the Lord, and I pray that you'll be touched and you'll be encouraged and you'll be uh, blessed and lifted up by what we're going to be talking about from the Scriptures. Before we get to the verses that Mark read, I want to just give you one passage, one verse, if you want to jot it down and just look at it later, but it really has revolutionized my life. I, I make it a practice to read through the Bible every year. It's just one thing I've done for a number of years, and it's fascinating how different passages speak to us at different times. And this verse I want to commend to you is a tremendous verse for each of us as we seek to understand our role in building up the local church. And I'm going to be talking today about building up the local church. The church serving is the anchor, the only hope of our community and the nations. And I'm going to be talking about our personal spiritual journeys and being a part of the church, being prayer warriors, being people who fast and deny ourselves, and being people who enter by the narrow gate and really lead upside-down lives for Jesus. And so my hope is that whether you've been following Jesus for 50 or 60 or 70 years or you're a new believer or you're just here because you're interested, that something along this spectrum of what we're going to talk about today will bless and touch you. So it's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, and this is what that verse says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, the treasure that has been entrusted to you. There's a lot of power in that verse. It talks about the importance of guarding, the importance and significance of being God's trustee. Can you imagine anything any better? And being God's trustee for the treasure that dwells within us, the local church, the salvation that we have in Jesus, our family and friends. So I just commend that verse to you as sort of an overarching theme for both today and next week, because next week I'm going to be preaching on the realities of the kingdom of God. I was really struck this past week as I was reading through the readings that each one of us are reading about how many times the kingdom of God is mentioned by Jesus as his purpose here on earth. And so I thought maybe we should talk about what that means to us. So we're going to start a little bit earlier than what Mark read in Mark chapter 5, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5. 
it's a passage that's familiar to all of us, but I just want to set the stage for us as the local church with these verses, and it's verses 14 through 16 in Matthew chapter 5. You're familiar with it. It says in my translation, which is New American Standard, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That passage there is talking about us. It's talking about the local church being a light, being a city on a hill. We, Celia and I just finished teaching a global migration and refugees class for two weeks out at Dallas Baptist University. And we had a wonderful time there talking to the students, both college seniors and grad students, about what this actually means. Because it gives great power to us, not only as believers here planted in this church, in this place, but it gives great power to the ends of the earth. So you know how you've seen pictures over the years of the church being the center of a community or the center of a city? We lived in, in France for four years when we were working with the IMB in North Africa, and I remember driving in cities all across France and all across Europe and seeing the, the church in the center of the city. And I fear that in our world today, in the Western world, in America, we have lost that as the church, as the center of our communities. It seems to me that often we're sort of viewing the church as just another thing and our families and sports and making money and all the things that take our attention to me seem to draw us away from having the church as the center of our community in the center of our lives. So a, a word picture that the Lord gave me this week in talking about the local church is that the church should be the anchor both of our lives and of our community. And after the first service, Daryl walked up to me and showed me a little diagram that Dr. Carswell had talked about way back when he first came. And he said that the church needs to be the anchor in our souls, and it needs to be the anchor in our communities. And so this is very important. It's, it's, it's really building something bigger than ourselves. So when Celia and I were thinking and praying about taking our family and, and leading a ministry in North Africa, I wanted to get as close to the country as I could go. And so I stood at a beach uh, where St. Augustine used to preach. You know, he was born in Tunisia in North Africa. It's now cordoned off because the Muslim population there knows how important it is to followers of Jesus. But I stood there and prayed, and I just want to tell you one thing that the Lord convicted me of because it could be important for you today, too, in your journey. And that is I looked back over my life as a, as a lawyer, as a dad, as a husband, as a son, as a member of the choir, as a ministry leader, whatever it was, and I realized that all of what I had done to that point in my life, I had done because I could do it. And if 
God was going to break through in this country, this closed country, and his church was going to flourish and the gospel was going to move forward, he was going to have to do it. And I just want to encourage each of you today, maybe this is one piece that you could take from this brief message is, we want to put ourselves in positions where if something happens, it's happened because God has done it, not because we can make it happen. And that applies to us individually, and it applies to this church family So this church family, we want to put ourselves in positions where if something happens, we have set a big enough goal and a big enough idea so that we know that God has done it and God has used it through us to bless our local community and the nations. And this applies to everybody here. No matter what you do for a living, no matter your age, no matter your uh, place in the community, no matter how long you've known Jesus. When I was out at Golden Gate Seminary, I had a professor named Dr. Tom Wolfe. And he told us something one day that has really stuck with me now for almost 20 years. He said, I believe that the 21st century is going to be the century in which the great work of expanding God's kingdom is going to shift from the ordained to the ordinary. This is really powerful. I have the privilege of being ordained. My dad, who was a Baptist pastor, actually preached my ordination service. But I will tell you this. I believe that the great work of the church rests right here in every single one of you in every single one of these pews. And as I told the early service, this kind of makes me stand up taller. It makes me feel this is important for me, how I'm walking with Jesus. It is important to me how I'm establishing the local church and building up the local church. It is important to me how I serve as God's trustee of his treasure. So as you leave here today, remember Tom Wolfe's statement, the great work of seeing God's kingdom advance is shifting from the ordained to the ordinary. It depends on each and every one of you. So we have this overarching picture that the church is the anchor. The church is the hope of the world. Building up the local church is the answer. And honestly, I'm just like you all. When you look at the news and when you see the fighting among politicians, when you see what's happening in the sports world, when you see all the people who disappoint us, it is good to know that there is hope. There is hope in Jesus through the local church. So we all want to be a part of building the local church. As uh, I've journeyed through life, I've realized that that there, there are several things, and this goes to the scriptures that, that Mark also read, that really make a difference in how I'm leading my life as a follower of Jesus, and am I doing my part? Because you see, you all will touch your circles of influence, your friendship networks, your, the Greek word oikos, which is family, friends, neighbors, and co-workers, you will touch people whom Celia and I will never touch. By the same token, we will touch people whom you will never touch. 
So the question is, are we living our lives spiritually in such a way that enables us to grow and be the fragrance of Christ and enables us to build up the local church? So we're going to talk first about prayer. You know the verses there, some admonitions in the scriptures about prayer, but I just want to share a few things with you that I've learned and and continue to learn about prayer. And the first will be a series of adjectives that I want to describe my prayer. And I actually say these every morning because I, I want my prayer to be full I don't want my prayer just to be for my family and our needs, as important as it is, or for my law practice or Celia's work or our ministries or whatever it is. So here are some of the adjectives that I commend to you. I want to pray intentionally, okay? I really want to pray in an intentional way. It just strikes me as interesting I see great intention, and, and a lot of what I'm speaking about is men because I, I, I'm in circles of business and I'm, I'm in, in ministry, and so I come alongside men all the time. But I see a lot of people, men and women included, who are very strategic and intentional about their work, about their kids, about their kids' sports or academic futures, But then when it comes to spiritual life, there's very little intentionality or strategy. And so we don't want to be in that mix. We want to say, God, I want to be strategic at work. I want to be strategic with my family, but I also want to be strategic with my spiritual life. In fact, that ought to come first. So intentionality in prayer. The second is there was a preacher back, an evangelist back in the 19th century called Charles Finney. And he illustrated a word to me, and he said, agonizing prayer. You know, do we really care about the nations? Do we really care about our church? Do we really care about this community? A year ago, Celia and I had the privilege of being in Kenya and Uganda. She was teaching trauma to uh, colleagues in Kenya. I spoke on emotional intelligence to some members of parliament in Uganda. And we met some young ladies there who were refugees from the country of Burundi. If you don't know where it is, I encourage you to take a look at it. It's in Africa, just north of Rwanda. But they're there with no families. They've stayed in touch with Celia. They've kind of adopted Celia as their mother. So I guess my question is, and I know J.D. and and Nancy have just come back from Athens, and y'all are engaged all across the nations and in this community. But the question is, does our prayer really reflect, reflect an agonizing aspect of, Jesus, we're really reaching out to you because this has to happen? And that can be for our church, too. So intentional prayer, agonizing prayer, God-centered prayer, Jesus-honoring prayer, self-denying prayer, global prayer. These are just some words that I encourage you to pray because 
if you're like me, we can lapse into praying for our family in a very narrow, shrinking world instead of the great big world out there that God has for us. And so with our students this last week, we've talked about this. Every time I pray, I pray for the nations. I pray that God will lead us not only to bless our local communities, but to bless the nations. I encourage you, and I've encouraged dads over the years, to prayer walk around schools. I believe that this is a real battleground. It can be a school. It can be a government building. It can be a sports complex. But for years, I've prayed around the schools because there are great battles going on in our schools. We love educators. Celia's an educator. Our middle daughter is an educator here in Greenville. We love educators, but we know that in schools, there are great battles. And we don't want to just pray for protection, which we do. We also want to pray that the gospel of Jesus will be vibrant and will flow through schools. So wherever it is, maybe you're a mom, maybe you're a student, maybe you're a dad, a business person, whatever, think about ways that you can engage in prayer even in a, in a public setting. We lived in Colorado Springs for eight years when I was privileged to work with Greater Europe Mission and uh, we prayed around our youngest daughter's high school, which was a new high school out there. And we did that every week, a group of dads and me. And we left, and a, a friend called Celia the year after we'd left and said, I just want you to know that there have been five suicides in this high school this year. Can you imagine the battleground? And so as believers, as ordinary followers of Jesus, we want to put ourselves in these strategic places where our prayers make a difference. Jesus' example is he always went to the hard places. He always went to places where other people didn't want to go. And I feel like sometimes we shy away from that. And we're like, ah, let the ministers handle that or let somebody else handle that. And really, it boils down to you and me as ordinary Christ followers moving forward God's kingdom. There's a, I'm going to show you two books. Let's see, I left them up here this time. Uh, the first in, in this regard is a, a very little book called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. This was written over 300 years ago. It's a thin book, as you can see. This book revolutionized my life. I went through a period about 20 years ago where Celia said, I only read dead authors, and this is one of them. But this book basically says... We are to practice God's presence all during the day. One of the students asked me last week, well, like, when do you pray? And uh, taking from this book and kind of my journey on these last 20 or 25 years, I've said, you know, I want to be a, a 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 kind of a guy. I want to pray without ceasing. I want to practice God's presence, whether I'm at work or at home or here in the church or whatever. But just a simple idea like this can revolutionize your life, my life, this church, and the nations. Can you imagine if we all walk out of these doors today and say, I'm committing 100% of the time to practice the presence of God? 
Then when that temptation comes, we have the power to withstand it. When our children behave in certain ways, we have the power to properly parent them. When somebody comes in at work and says the most ridiculous thing we've ever heard, we know how to respond in a Christ-like way. Practicing the presence of God. The second thing is the spiritual discipline, which really I find has uh, sort of dropped out of favor, but I really feel that it's important, is fasting, okay? And this book that I'm showing you called God's Chosen Fast is the best book I've ever read on this subject. The author is Arthur Wallace. It's spelled W-A-L-L-I-S. But with the, with the kids that we're mentoring and, and our own kids and other people whom we come across in our day-to-day lives, it's amazing how many people say, I'm coming up on a really big decision. Will you pray for me? And our answer is absolutely, yes, we will. But here's what we say and we recommend to them is find a group of your friends who are committed to pray for you and fast and really deny themselves. And this is a time in the life of our church where this is really important. Are we willing to deny ourselves to really seek to hear from God about the future of our church? So I found in my times of fasting over the years, it's amazing when you get up in the morning, what's like the first thing you think about? Breakfast. Then after breakfast, you think about lunch. After lunch, we think about our our snack and dinner. And after dinner, we think about that bowl of ice cream at like 9.30 at night, okay? So our, our minds are sort of consumed with thinking about food. And what I've found is when our focus is on God, the clarity that arises from that is amazing. I mean, what if we as a church family committed to fast and pray and see what God is doing in our midst, denying ourselves, taking up the cross of Jesus, and following him. So I commend to you to think in your small group, in your life group, in your family. It's so important for you who are moms and dads, for you who are mentoring and discipling others, this whole idea of modeling is one that's really important in the Christian life. What are we offloading to others? What are others learning from us? What kind of legacy are we leaving for those behind us? Are we leaving legacies of building up the local church, fasting, praying, denying ourselves? That's a really good question for all of us to consider. So the third thing is there in Matthew chapter 7, and I'll just touch on it briefly because these are all spiritual practices, things that we want to do in our lives each day to be sure that we're vigorously following God and that we're doing our part in his kingdom advance, not leaving it to others. So it says there in in, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, that we want to walk through the narrow way that leads to life rather than through the broad gate leading to destruction. So every morning when I get up, I ask Jesus to help me with that in that day. I ask him to help me lead an upside-down life 
for Jesus and for his kingdom. And I've learned in, in my journey, especially over these last few years, that the whole Christian enterprise is all about day-by-day living. In other words, I can't say today, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withstand temptation, for example, and expect that to carry me on for the next week. It's every day. It's every hour practicing God's presence. And so in the scriptures, it talks about manna being delivered to the people of God in the wilderness. How often? Every day. In the New Testament, in the model prayer, Jesus says, you're going to get your bread how often? Every day, our daily bread. So I think it's important for us as followers of Jesus to realize that these things, prayer, fasting, decisions to lead upside-down lives and honoring Jesus and taking the narrow way are everyday decisions that applies to each one of us. And so again, no matter where you are on the spectrum of faith or where you are in life, these are principles that help us not only build up ourselves in our faith, but also build up the local church. So next week, we're going to be talking about the realities of the kingdom of God. And I really feel like Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we're builders of the kingdom of God and we want to be a part of building up God's kingdom. So I've got a picture here I want to show you. Uh, Celia and I, guys, if you can put it up there. Yeah, there it is. We have been in Greenville for a couple of years and we were walking there, you know, behind Mary's restaurant downtown and you walk down, you know, and we saw this tree. And I said, that tree right there captures the meaning of our faith. And so we took a picture of it. And almost every time I'm privileged to share, I put up that picture. Because I want to I look at that picture and understand where am I in regard to that tree? Am I deeply rooted in my faith? Am I praying? Am I fasting? Am I practicing the spiritual disciplines? Am I constantly taking the narrow way leading to life? Am I offloading these principles? Am I a part of building up rather than tearing down? And I just feel like as we all look at that picture, we need to answer that question for ourselves. And I encourage you that the only way we're going to walk with Christ, the only way our family is going to walk with Christ, that we're going to leave Jesus honoring legacies, that we're going to build institutions bigger than ourselves and build up the church, is if we're deeply rooted like this tree. And so I pray that that will be true of all of us, that the scriptures will be alive and vibrant to us. I pray that we'll walk in ways that honor God and honor other people and that we'll definitely be a part of building something bigger than ourselves. I pray the Lord will bless you. We're glad to be a part of this community and excited to see what the Lord is going to do in the days ahead. May the Lord bless you.